Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled Imitate, a study on the book of 1 Thessalonians. For more information about CBC or how to get plugged in, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. Hope you have a Bible. If you don't, you need to buy one. If you can't afford one, we'll give you one. But we're in 1 Thessalonians. We have been for, I don't even know, nine weeks or so now. I uh, just have a few more weeks in this great little epistle. Uh, and in the vein of keeping last week's sermon kind of in front of us, of being simple, to keep it simple, stupid pr- principle, right, the kiss principle. So we're just going to keep it simple. One main thought, really, through the entire sermon. Um, and you may need, since my mic is out, you may need to help me today. Uh, so, so there's those words that we learned a few weeks ago that we kind of taught our response words. Amen, hallelujah, salah. You might need them today. I'm just, I'm just keep them in your back pocket. Because you might need them today. Because um, this, this, this is only one main thought, but it is a biggie. All right? This is our greatest hope. It is one of the most prevalent topics in all of Scripture. Out of the 27 New Testament books, 23 of them talk about this topic. Out of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, there is over 300, 318 exactly, references to this topic. Right? In fact, one... Guy, one, one scholar said that one out of every 30 verses in the Bible talks about this. The Old Testament saints talked about it. Job, David, Malachi, Isaiah, Moses, Abraham. It's a topic that Jesus himself spoke on many times extensively. It is the hope of every Christian. You know what it is? Jesus Christ is coming again. All right? Uh, and some of you didn't, didn't hear me there, apparently, because I said, Jesus Christ is coming again. Uh, okay, good. All right. The date, the time is set, the future is certain, the facts are settled. One day, in the twinkling of an eye, the clouds will split, the trumpet will sound, and Jesus Christ will return to earth, and every wrong will be made right, every injustice will be made just, every reality will change forever, because Jesus Christ is coming again. And it is not a new hope. This is the hope that's always been, all right? And, and so even guys like Job in the Old Testament who lived 2,000 years before Jesus came to earth says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand one day on the earth. Now, you may not have known his name. You may not know all the details. But there was a hope of a Redeemer who would come, right? So this is not new for the church. It has been and always will be our greatest hope. And so we're going to talk about it. And if you're looking for, and some of you were when you came in today, you were hoping I would have charts of dragons, right? And if you're looking for that, or if you're looking for me to kind of say that, you know, that Nick Saban is the Antichrist and that Apple Pay is the mark of the beast, right? And you want me to crack the Bible code, you watch too much TBN. This is not that, all right? The reason, the only main reason the church has ever forever talked about the return of Christ is for one reason. It is to give us hope. That is why we talk about it, right? Not because it's some cheesy, yeah, Jesus coming again. We're not talking about that. It's, it's meant to give us hope. And let me tell you, you ever wonder why so many Christians have no hope? I mean, they look at the future. Oh, who's going to president going to be? Right? Oh, what's going to happen to the stock market? 
They're gloomy, they're sad, they're timid, they're fearful, and they're worried about the future. It's because they don't have at the core of their heart the full grasp of this reality that we are supposed to be a people of hope. Why? Because Jesus is coming in. This is supposed to be a a, a meeting of hopeful people. And when I talk about hope, I'm not talking about motivational speech. It'll be okay, Georgia fans. Is that, is that too soon? Is, that, is, is the wound still raw? Okay, sorry. Okay. Maybe the Braves will do it next year. Maybe the Georgia knows how to do a prevent defense. All right? Just making sure your idolatry is repenting you right now. Maybe one day I'll lose the weight. Maybe one day I'll get married. We're not talking about that. All right, that's not hope. Hope for the Christian is the confident expectation of something better ahead. It is confidence, it is expectation, and something better. And it is a reality we experience now because we have, it's anchored in something. It is anchored in the rock, which is God's word. Because your creator has said to you, this is your future. Jesus Christ is coming again. It's the only point I have today, right? And so we're going to look and continue in this text in 1 Thessalonians 4 and, and, and verses 13 really through 18, the whole rest of the chapter. And we're just going to look at it with two main goals here, the same goals that the Apostle Paul has. Number one, that you understand it. Number two, that you're encouraged by it. That's his words, not mine. I mean, if, if you're looking for three points to how to do this and where to go and what not to do today, this is not your sermon. This is a sermon where you just let the truth of God's word wash over you. Okay, especially if you're in a dark place, especially if you're in a dark place, right? And these people were. And so let's just be encouraged by it. Let me read our text of scripture and then we'll jump into it. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have, underline it, no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend with the voice of a, from, the, from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now remember what this church has been. They're living in a very hard, difficult place in their life. There's persecution, there's opposition, they've lost loved ones. It is dark, right? It is dark. How many of you know dark times? You've been there, right? And what do you want to know when you're in the dark time? When there's a miscarriage, when there's cancer, when you lost a loved one, when there's physical pain because I have lupus or I have arthritis or whatever. What do you want to know when you're in the middle of that? You want to know that it is going to end, that there is an end game to that struggle, that it's not going to last, that this discouragement, that this this disappointment, this always seeming to need more money, it is one day going to end. Will it end is the question, and it will when Jesus Christ comes again. So Paul says this to them. We don't want you to be uninformed, right? It is the Greek word that we get our English word agnostic from. We don't want you to be ignorant. 
We don't want you to be not in the know. The positive side is this, that we want you to understand. We just want you to understand. We want you to be informed about what's going to happen. So if you're a note-taking person, and you really should be, because we give you a bulletin and we're killing trees, so you might as well use it, all right? So flip over your bulletin and write, okay, I want to understand this. And under understand, have two columns, because this is what I want you to understand today. Two, two, two columns there. Number one thing I want you to understand is, how do I know that Jesus is coming back? That's the first column. The second one is going to be, what is it going to look like? Because the goal is to, so that you understand, right? If you're going to have your, your hope anchored in something something bigger than you, if it's going to be anchored in the truth of God's word and the rock, then you better understand why you know what you know. Because let's be honest, okay? You won't hear this in churches. You probably, maybe the first time you'll ever heard this. What we believe seems wacko. If you are a lost, if you're, if you're not a Christian and you come in here and you hear me start talking about Jesus Christ coming again and all these things, do you realize what, if you, some of you grew up in a church and it's just normal, you speak Christianese, you're fluent in it, all right? Most normal people don't get it. And when they hear, when they think about what we believe, that God became a man 2,000 years ago, he was born of a virgin, that's a big one, then he walks on the earth for 30-something years, walking on water, raising people from the dead, making fish multiply. Then he is killed, and then he comes out of the grave three days later and says, oh, by the way, I'm coming back again. That is Star Trek weird. For someone who doesn't believe. And you got to own it. Okay? So just recognize. It, it's, 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 it's seemingly out there. And then on top of that, Christians for 2,000 years have been saying, oh, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. 2,000 years. It's a long time, y'all. Right? But you got to remember, 4,000 years before that, God said, he's coming. And then 2,000 years before that, Job and Abraham said he's coming. And then 1,500 years before that, Moses said he's coming. And then 1,000 years before that, you, you got all these guys in the Old Testament. David, 1,000 B.C. Isaiah, 700 B.C. Malachi, 4, 500. They're all, they're all saying he's going to come, he's going to come, he's going to come, he's going to come. Question, did he come first time? Yeah, he did. So he's one for one. That's a th he's batting 1,000. Pretty good average. So... It's only been 2,000 years. Is, is he coming again? Yeah. All right. So we want, I don't want you to be agnostic in your thinking. And I want you to be able to understand how do I know, especially when times are dark. And there's not much darker times than when you lose somebody, which is exactly what happened here. So he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And asleep here is a metaphor for death. All right, we're not talking about soul sleep. The moment your, your body dies, your spirit is either in heaven or in hell, period. To be absent from the body is present with God. But while your body, your, your spirit is with Christ, your body is here on earth. And, and it's the picture is sleeping. And this is the same picture that Jesus uses when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And so Lazarus is sick and then he dies. And Jesus says, oh, he's just asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, Jesus, then he'll get up. And then he says, y'all, thick-headed. He's dead. That's my that's the and new bill translation, but that's what he's saying. He's dead. And we're gonna go and we're gonna we're gonna take care of that. But then when he goes, after knowing he's gonna raise him from the dead, what does he do? Jesus weeps, he cries, he grieves because he, he loved Lazarus and he loved his sis, his sisters. And these people are mourning and they're weeping and they're grieving for their lost loved ones, which is by the way, not a bad thing. 
We are not Buddhists who detach from everything. Got to detach. We are supposed to be attached to one another. We are supposed to mourn with one another. We are supposed to grieve with one another. There are p- people are worth grieving. And so don't try to push someone. We talked about this six months ago when we looked at Abraham. But if someone is grieving, it is not a, a lack of faith on their part. But what Paul says is, I want you to grieve. It's normal to grieve. I want you to grieve with what? Hope. Because everyone else has no hope. All these, these false gods in, in Thessalonica, the, the Mount Olympus gods and the Pantheon of Greek gods and the Egyptian gods, for them, death was just a hope, a hopeless end. Right? And we as Christians believe in an endless hope. So I want, I want, you, I want it to inf- your grief to be informed by hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ will come again. Right? So that's, that's, how, that's how hope informs us. You say, okay, how do you know? How do we know that Jesus is coming again? Here's your how do you know column. Right? All right? How do we know that he, that he will come back one day? He tells us, verse 14 and 15. And each verse begins with a, the very simple but important word, for. It's called an explanatory gar in the Greek. For those who are like, oh, tell me some Greek. There you go. All right? It's, it's, a, it's just where it means this is why. So what's the first one? He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, underline that in your neighbor's Bible. You know, go ahead and cross over here. Right? Pink fluorescent highlights in my Bible now. He says, here's the first reason we know. For since we believe. And the word since is actually if. In some of your translations, it says if we believe. But it's a, a first-class condition, which means it's a conditional statement, but we assume it to be true. So he's saying, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do. And we do. All right, so I want you to think about this. What Paul is doing here is linking everything to one event. Do you realize that the entirety of Christianity, I mean the whole kit and caboodle, all rests on one simple event? I mean, all your systematic theologies and rah, rah, confessions and all this stuff, it all rests on one thing. One. You're thinking, man... That's, that's going all in. Yep. That's almost kind of a little fickle, isn't it? I mean, what, it's just one thing. There's not like 10 things. All rests on one thing. What is that one thing? That Jesus died and rose again. Right? I mean, the whole of Christianity is standing on top of that fact. If he did not rise, then he is not God. If he is not God, then everything he said is not true. If everything he said is not true, then you are dead right now and your trespasses and sins. And we might as well leave and go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. You better live it up now because this is as good as it gets if the resurrection is not true. Everything rests on the resurrection. So, so you better be sure that Jesus died and rose again because Paul links the entirety of our hope on that one event. But he says, if he did... It changes everything. Because even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him, though. This word, even so, is in the exact same way. And then the Greek text actually adds another word, also, to kind of double emphasize. It's left out of most English translations because it's kind of redundant. But he says, for since we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and we do, then in the same exact way, also, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who fall asleep. He says, if you want to know if you're going to rise from the dead, ask the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he rose from the dead, then God will raise you from the dead in the exact same way. 
everything is linked. In the same way he comes out of the grave, you will come out of the grave. If he did not come out of the grave, you will not come out of the grave. It's all there. So if, you, if you're like, okay, what should I believe? If you believe in the resurrection, then this is going to happen. It's linked. If he did what he said he did, if he conquered death, if he offered salvation for everyone who believes, do you think that he is going to abandon his people in the end? I tell you, he will not. And this is why the early church made such a big deal of the resurrection. I mean, think about it. A bunch of Jews for their entire life were worshiping on Saturdays, going to the temple, offering sacrifices. All of a sudden, they stop, and they start worshiping on Sunday. Why? Because the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. And if you want to know where your hope lies, it all lies in the resurrection. So the first reason we know he, he's going to raise us from the dead, he's coming back, is because of the resurrection. The second one is in verse 15. He says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord will descend from heaven, cry a command, we'll look at that later. But, but the starting phrase is the most important. How do we know that Jesus will come back? We declare this to you, how? By a word from the Lord. Very unique phrasing in the New Testament. It's the word of God right now that you hold in your hands or you see on the screen is actually declaring itself to you to be the word of God. It's like a, again, it's like a double emphasis. How do I know? Because the word which I hold in my hand is declaring itself to be the word. The, the, the simple thing is, how do I know? Because he says he will. Right? He says he will. Now, Paul somehow had some special revelation from God, I guess. Maybe a dream, may have a vision. But in essence, he's saying, Jesus told me he's coming back. All right? Just like he told the disciples, he's coming back. John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house, many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Why would I have told you I'd go prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you. Here's the question. Can Jesus lie? I mean, he says he's coming back numerous times. Is he lying? Maybe he was misunderstood, right? Maybe we, he, didn't, he meant, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but it was a spiritual place, and it was just not meant to be taken literally. Well, when he tells the Pharisees, they say, are you the Christ? He says, I am, and you will see the Son of God, Son of Man, coming again. They tear their robes and say, what? They, they, they seem pretty clear that he's talking about that he is God coming back. They're like, okay, we got, we got reason to kill him now. So I don't think he's been misunderstood. I think he has been very clear. It's just a matter of how do we know Jesus is coming back? Because he said so. If he's God, he cannot lie. My wife and I, over the last several years, we have dropped our children off at school hundreds, thousands of times, right? So I can't wait till they drive and I never have to go there again. So, and every time we have said, we're going to pick you up at three. We're going to pick you up. We're going to be there. Do you know how many times we have forgotten our children? And some of you can't say this, by the way, because I know, because we've been left, you left them in the nursery. But that's another story. We have never left a child behind, all four of them. There's no chance. And what God wants, and here's why this fits together. What he wants you to know in your darkest moments, and some of you are in them. Right? Some of you are in them. You've lost mom this past year. You've had miscarriage. You've lost job. You got, you're, I mean, we have dark moments going on, and what he wants you to know in the middle of that is that not that he doesn't know you're hurting, and not that he doesn't know you're lonely, not that there's not a fogginess and a brokenness, 
that you may not see it and you may not feel it and, and you may not, you know, even at that moment believe it. But Jesus promises you, based on the authority of his word and the truth of the resurrection, that he is coming again. And when he does, he will fix everything that's broke. He will make every wrong right. You will never cry again, not cry tears of, of pain, only tears of joy. You will never hurt. You will never long for anything else. So he will meet every need. And he wants us to be a people of hope who are not worried about who's going to be our president and who's going to be on the Supreme Court because we already have a holy judge who will make every wrong right. So you don't need, you can chill. Right? Chill. Stop watching so much TV. Right? So we need to be a people that have the full confidence on the truth of God's word. And this is when the, the reality of what Peter says, that they are precious and magnificent promises. It's only a reality when you start taking them as his precious and magnificent promises. All right? If you're worried about everything, it's not. Jesus is coming in. How do I know? Because he came out of the grave. And because he promises. What is it going to look like? That's the second question we got to ask. And this is where churches get in trouble, all right? But we want to talk, what, is, what does it tell us to look for? Because we, we're supposed to be looking for it. So what are we supposed to look for? I got several things. You can just kind of write them down, jot them down, um, you know, go read Left Behind, I don't know, whatever. But, but let's just talk about it real quick. First thing we're looking for is a Savior, right? Because what he says is, the Lord himself. I want you to think about this. I know it's kind of, it's out there, it's kind of science fiction, but Jesus Christ, born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, all right, he will, he is right now sitting on the throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And one day, and I don't know when it is, but one day the Father is going to look over to him, this isn't my sanctified imagination, but it probably will happen like this, he's going to look over and he's going to say, it's time to go. And Jesus, with a smile on his face, is going to stand up, and he is going to come in the sky. He is going to return. I mean, this is not some. he's not going to send an angel, oh, I'm kind of tired today, Gabriel, will you go get them and bring them back to me like I do with the kids? Okay. He's, he is himself, the, the risen lamb of God is going to come back, right? So we're looking for a savior, and we're going to be looking in the sky. Right? So he says he's going to descend from heaven. Right? So everyone, you can look up. That's where he's coming from. Right? That's where he is coming from. And, and so, and, and you say, how, how do you know? Heaven could just be heaven. Well, because in Acts 1, when Jesus is with the disciples and they say, is this the time for the kingdom? He says, hush. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. I, this is not time for you to know what's going on. You're going to receive power in the Holy Spirit. And he starts floating up into heaven. And the disciples are watching. I'm watching and watching, and finally, they can't see anymore because the clouds have, have blurred them, and they're still standing there like, is he coming back? And all of a sudden, there's a bunch of angels there like, what are you doing? <laughs> These people, right? <laughs> says, this, this, the same way he left, he will come. So the clouds hit him, and one day the clouds will open, and he will come back in the same exact way in the sky. And there will be sound. Okay? What sounds? This is the part I love. No one really knows exactly. In fact, you read all the commentators, they're like, well, it's one this and one this. Okay, here's what we know. Okay, he's going to descend from heaven. There's going to be a cry of command. Who says it? I don't know. What does he say? I don't know. 
Maybe it's let's roll or go kick butt or go get them or I don't know. But get up here now. But it, you'll know it when you hear it. All right? When you hear the Father's voice or, or a, a voice of authority, you know it. It may be the voice of the archangel. Okay? It may be describing an archangel. We only know of one specifically in Scripture. His name is Michael. He is over the nation of Israel. He is kind of the guardian of Israel as their angel. But there may be more than one, but they're, they're the bigwigs. They're the general angels. They're not kind of the little Padawans that run around, right? right? They're the big dudes. And so there's going to be a cry of command. There's going to be some sort of angelic command as well or, or a, a voice. And then there's going to be a trumpet, right? For, so all the ska fans and all the jazz people in town, okay, God loves himself a trumpet, right? You see trumpets throughout the scripture, uh, why? Typically, they're used militarily to gather the troops and to charge the troops, right? To gather the people of God together, you would get called up to Jerusalem, there'd be a trumpet, you'd be called to the, to the, to the temple, and, and so there's probably this idea of, of let's go together, you know, da, 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 da. I don't know what it's going to be, that'd be pretty cool if it was, actually. But there, you will know it when you hear it, is the point. It's going to be loud, it is going to be forceful, and then there will be a social aspect to it. This is the one S that I kind of had to really stretch with, but that's all right. This is what thesauruses are good for. But who does he say? We who are alive will be caught up together. So what it teaches, verse 16, is that the dead in Christ will rise first. So if you're alive when Jesus comes back, you don't get to go first. Paul gets to go first. So Paul's beheaded body, the head will kind of come back on. Somehow, I don't know what that looks like, but, you know, it'd be like the Terminator, that one that was like liquid, but, you know, whatever, right? I don't know how it looks like. So Paul will go first, and then Peter's crucified upside-down body will go, and Wycliffe's burned body, and every, you know, Christian in the ground right now, Grandpa Joe, maybe you had a, you lost a brother, maybe there was a miscarriage. Those people go first, and then we get caught up with them together, and there will be a reunion of all reunions, the best mac and cheese you've ever eaten, and we will be together, is the point. So these people who are suffering the loss of their mom, or maybe their brother was killed because of his faith, and they are missing them, they are weeping, and they are crying, and the hope is, yes, for a temporary period, but you will be with them together one day, and we will be secure. Why? Because we will be always with the Lord. You, you know it'll never, a question that'll never be asked in heaven? How was your day? Did you have a good day? My wife asked the kids at dinner, what was the best part of your day? No one will ever ask that in heaven. Was it a good day, bad day in heaven? Because every day will be incredible. Because you will never get over the nearness of being near your Savior, of, of seeing him face to face, of being just close with your God, with no hindrances of sin or, or selfishness. It's just absolute joy forever and security, right? That we see in a mirror, as Paul says now, darkly, dimly, but one day face to face, right? And you have to understand that this is not only our, de our, de our desire and our hope, this is God's delight you know who is counting the days till this besides us? It's Jesus. I mean, 
he is the, he is the groom waiting for his bride. How many grooms are like, well, you know, we're getting married in a month, but I don't really care. Oh, tomorrow's the wedding. No, every groom I know is like, tomorrow I'm getting married. Lord Jesus, I love you. Please don't come back until at least Monday. <laughs> right? Because the last thing you want is to, your bride to be walking down the aisle and you're like, oh, she's so beautiful. No! Okay. <laughs> like, every, every young married man knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but but the, the point is this, that God... Is, is the groom. Jesus is the groom. And he wants to be with the bride. He longs to be with his bride. That he, He's a father. God is our father. And how does he feel about your kids? Don't you want to be with your kids? Don't you want to be with your children? Don't you love his, how great a love the father has given to us that we should be called his children? And so we are. I, this is what you need to understand. It's not just our hope. It is his desire that that he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back. This is your future, church. This is your hope. This is your reality. And the last S is, is soon. When's it happening? Soon. Well, it's been 2,000 years. Well, in light of a billion, zillion, quadrillion, whatevers, 2,000 years is not so long, right? Jesus says, Four times in Revelation, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. And look, here, here's where Christians will disagree a little bit, all right? This is where we get into chart making and whatever. Here's where most of, the, of our staff stands as far as end times. And eschatology is a fascinating topic that churches unfortunately divide about because the purpose of eschatology is to give you hope, not to give you charts. And some people just want to go make charts and form a Christian militia and sell everything and live in the mountains, all right? And that's, that's not the heart of eschatology. It's to give us hope. But here's kind of where, where most of the staff and elders stand when it comes to what's gonna happen next. The next thing in God's timetable for, for, for eternity, for, for the rest of the world, is that Jesus returns for his church, right? This passage, other passages. And that he will take his church to be with him, and that will usher in a time of wrath that the world has never seen. It's a seven-year period called the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. In it, there'll be a lot of things happen, a lot of, you know, things in Revelation. There'll be an antichrist, and he will be seemingly good guy for a while. His name is Nikolai Carpathia, so if you're looking for him. Um, <laughs> but he will be on for seven years, and it'll be horrible. And it's, in essence, a seven-year period that's designed for the nation of Israel to repent and, and receive their Messiah that they rejected. At the end of that seven years, Jesus will come back one more time. This time he'll touch the ground. In, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he just comes in the air and, we, and there's no coming to the earth. And the next time he comes, he'll come to the earth. His feet will rest on, on, on the mountain outside Jerusalem. It'll split in two. And he will, in essence, set up a thousand-year rule and reign on this earth where everything's perfect, where the 12 disciples are sitting there on thrones next to him. And it's, it's, it's called the, the thousand-year or millennial kingdom, right? Now, some of you are like, well, I don't believe that. Or I, I came from a different tradition. I get that. All right, I get that you're wrong, but I get that. <laughs> that's it's, that's an area that different Christians disagree on, but I think that's what you see most literally taken in Scripture. But here's the point: When's all this going to happen? Soon. Soon. Well, how do I know? Well, Jesus says soon in Revelation, and it seems to Paul that he could actually be alive when Jesus comes back. What does he say two times? 
He says, we declare from the word of the Lord that we who are alive, he's including himself in the possibility that when Jesus comes back, he can still be alive. He says it twice. Then we who are alive. So there is a, a great possibility in Paul's mind that, that he could be alive when Jesus comes back. Now, he was wrong. But there's that imminence. There's that it could happen at any time. How good would it be to be part of the group that's the we who are alive? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. How super awesome would it be to not have to die? But I'm not going to be in heaven like, man, I wish I would have got to die once. That would have been great. <laughs> right? I would, it would be great to be part of this group. Right? With Jesus. But the point is, is, he could come back at any time. It could be today. It could be in a thousand years, but it could be today. And the point, the church is supposed to be ready. And the only reason he has not come back, y'all, is because he is patient with us. He is not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. There are still people that need to hear the gospel. There's still people that need to know Christ. And, and the time after he returns for his church, it will be a time of wrath that you do not want to be here for. Right? And so there's an urgency to the gospel. But here's, here's the response for us. Taught you amen. Taught you, well, I didn't teach you amen, but you heard it. Hallelujah, Salah. Here's one more word for the church that you got to get. All right, 1 Corinthians 16. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And here's this last phrase. Our Lord come. It is an Aramaic word, actually, not even Greek, that you've heard before if you've born in the, lived in the 70s. Maranatha. Right? Maranatha is an Aramaic word that just means... Our Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. And that's, that, is the, that is the one word the church should be look, using. Amen? Yes. Hallelujah? Yes. Salah? Think about it? Yes. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Right? That's the response. Lord, it is dark. We need your light. Return. Come. The light of your presence. We need it. The early church, y'all, they longed for the return of Christ because it was so hard to be a Christian. Our problem is it's not so bad living in America. It really is not. I mean, it gets hard sometimes, but it is not so bad. And so we, we, we lose sight. The return of Christ has become an 80s fiction novel for us that we don't even think about because I just, oh, it just, we joked about it, but because I just, I, I'd like to get married first and then Jesus comes back. Or I'd like to get a job, or I'd like to have a kid and see what that's like, or be a grandparent, or maybe I want to go to Europe, and then Jesus can come back. Because we think that that's as better than what, what Jesus will bring. But we sang it earlier, y'all, that Jesus, one day in the courts of Christ, is better than a thousand honeymoons. That you picture your best day a thousand times, and just one day with Jesus is better than all of those. And you really get this when times are dark, and that's the point. Right? When times are poor. Because the application, Paul just says, is what? Encourage one another with these words. Now go do, go do this, go do that. Take these words and encourage each other. The word actually is comfort. It's the word we use for the Holy Spirit elsewhere, the parakletos. The one who comes alongside. That we should be speaking of this, we should be speaking of the return of Christ. Not so we can make charts and form our militia, so that we can encourage one another because this person just lost their dad, and this person just lost their job, and this person is addicted to this, and this person is hurting here. That we can give them hope. Because in the midst of darkness, the only thing that gives us hope is we know that it's going to end. When there's pain, that it's going to end. I mean, you got this in the physical world. You go running, you still got two miles to go, you got a big old cramp. Oh, 
What is your only hope that in 20 minutes, I'm going to be on the couch eating a bonbon because I earned it? It's the hope. What is, the, what is your hope when you're, you know, you're, you're in the middle of a school year and you got exams and you hate your classes? Your hope is that summer's coming. Summer's coming. When you lived in the north, many of us lived in the north for many years, and it's January and it's miserable. It's cold. You hate it. You like snow for one hour and then you hate it. What is your hope that one day spring is going to come? Right? Hard work at week, hard, hard week at work. What's your hope? I got, oh, it's going to end on the weekend. What is our hope for believers? That Jesus Christ is coming again. It's not a new hope. It's an old hope. But it's the greatest hope. But, but understand this, and we'll close with this, and then we'll worship. This hope is only for those that are in Christ. Okay, ver, ver, look at verse 16 in your Bible. For the dead in Christ will rise again. Again, verse 14. Since we believe. It's only for those who believe. Okay, so if you're just, oh, that's great. Jesus come back and everything. No, this hope is only for those who have trusted that Christ came, that he died as their substitute, and that he rose again. If you do not believe that, or if you're kind of, oh, I don't know, then you have no hope. I mean, you, have, you may have hope, but it's a false hope. Your only hope is in Christ. That's the only lasting hope. And if he is not the anchored reality of your life, then you will not live in constant expectation that something better is coming. Because let me tell you, it's not. If you do not have the hope of Christ, I, I want to say this as lovingly as I can, this is as good as it will ever get for you. It's as good as it will get. And, and, and your future is not hope, it's wrath. But Jesus came so that you would escape wrath. Jesus came so that you would have hope. And you just, all you have to do is recognize your brokenness and your sin and repent of your sins and believe in him. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So if you have questions about that, or if you're like, oh, this whole Jesus coming back thing, said it, I'll talk, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk to you and show you even deeper why we believe the resurrection happened and why we believe these things are true. So call us, put fill out a connect card. We'll talk to you after the service. But we want you to be a people of hope. For our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. When darkness veils his his lovely face, we rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale our anchor holds within the veil. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. This is our hope, y'all. Jesus Christ is coming again. Let's worship and stand. And let's sing as if he's coming back. And that you would be not ashamed that you were lip syncing at his return. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, be glorified in your church. Let us be a church who says, Maranatha, even so come. Um, I pray for those in this room who may not have hope that their eyes will be open to the truth of your death and resurrection for their sins. 
And for us who are in dark places, that this would just be a little bit of a shining light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that, that this light momentary affliction is preparing in us a, a weight of glory that's beyond comparison. So that's, that's our hope as your church, in Christ's name, amen.